0: Amen, right? Let's sing together. Micah 7:18 and 19 says this Who is a god like you who pardons sins and forgives the, the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance You do not stay angry forever but delight to show mercy You will again have compassion on us You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea I love this song. It's talking about His mercy. His mercy is more. It says, our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Will you stand with us and let's sing together.
1: Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. sins, they are many. His mercy is full. Amen. Amen. One God could remember no
0: was the cost we stood meet the debt we couldn't still live in a free country and that's an awesome thing to celebrate those men and women who've died for our freedom we can never thank them enough but we have a greater freedom even than that it goes beyond this earth and that is the freedom we have in jesus christ when you come into this place to worship him that is the true place Lord, we've come before you this morning just to honor you and to worship you. You are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our glory, of of the glory that is bestowed to you, Lord. May you be praised this morning. I pray that our worship will be satisfying to you in such a way that, that it puts a smile on your face, Lord. It's for you and to you that all the praise and honor and glory belong. In Jesus'
2: name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you today. Glad that you're here. What a joy it is for us to be together. And we are working on plans to hopefully move forward in uh, weeks and months ahead uh, to uh, get some groups together, at least for adults and students who can socially distance, and then later on for children. That's the hard part, getting children's groups together. But we're working. We're moving in that direction. So uh, we're glad for what we have so far and the ability to worship together. Today, I begin a new series of sermons. There are two types of sermon series that I often preach. First of all, it's preaching through a book of the Bible. That's the primary way, because that shares the teaching of God as He laid it out, verse by verse, and that's what we're doing on Wednesday night. So I want to invite you to come to our outdoor service, Wednesday at 6.15 in the rear parking lot. We have a flatbed trailer back there. You bring a lawn chair. We tried to start last Wednesday. It rained us out. So we're going to try it again this Wednesday. So we're going through the book of Joel. I think the Old Testament prophet of Joel really has something to say to us in this time that we're going through in our culture today. So I invite you to come. We'll go verse by verse through the book of Joel for the next four Wednesday nights outside in the parking lot whenever it's not pouring the rain. So uh, come and uh, be with us. We'll try it again Wednesday at 6.15. The other type of sermon series that I do is where we take a doctrine or a subject and systematically see what all of the Bible has. So it's a survey of Scripture together because we believe that these 66 books have a unity and a common message. And so that's the type of series that I'm beginning today for the next six weeks, Lord willing. We'll look at the doctrine of the providence of God. Now, the word providence might be new to you or might not, but providence means. Uh, that God provides. You hear that word provide there. We believe that God is at work in our lives to provide for us or to guide us. This is about the guidance of God of his children that we want to, to look for in our lives and be aware of and have confidence in that God is guiding us. The word providence, the origin of it, comes from Pro-video, you know what video is? Video is to, to see, to watch, and pro means ahead of time, so God sees ahead of time. The doctrine of God's providence is based on his foreknowledge. God knows the future. God knows choices that will people make. He knows events and circumstances that will happen in your life, and the providence of God means that he weaves those together, that he works those things together to guide you and to bless you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Well, today we want to look at what I think is the primary verse of Scripture in the Bible that teaches the doctrine of the providence of God. The word providence is not in the Bible in most translations. It's sort of like the word trinity. The word trinity is not in the Bible, but it tells us, it accurately describes truth that is in the Bible. The word providence is not in most translations, but it accurately describes this truth and it's summarized in Romans 8, 28. If you have your Bible, I invite you to share, uh, to open it there. You can follow on the screen. I think this is the the greatest verse in the Bible that most fully and clearly teaches this doctrine that we'll be talking about these next six weeks, the doctrine of the providence of God. It says, "...and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose." That's his providence. Let's break that verse down. It's so important. Let's look at it phrase by phrase. It says, first of all, we know. So, this is something we can be sure of. In the verses just above, it talked about some things we don't know. Verse 26 says, we don't know how to pray. We don't always know what to pray, right? Sometimes we're just not sure what to pray. But this is something we know. But we know the outcome. We know. And so, we want to base our lives on this truth. Let's go to the, the next phrase that gives us the subject and verb. We know that God works. So the doctrine of providence means that God is at work in your world, in your daily life. It is the word synergy or synergy that uh, we get our word from. God's working a synergy in your life. Phillips translates this phrase that God fits everything together in a pattern so God is determining the outcomes of things in our lives. He's fitting things together in a pattern. Another translation says he makes everything cooperate. That's this word, synergy. God's at work. Now, there were, there's a, a teaching, especially prevalent in colonial America, called deism, that believe God created everything, but then he's just sort of distant after that. He doesn't have much to do with our world in the day-to-day life. Well, That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God, yes, he created everything, but he continues to work. We know God works, that he's continuing to work. And by the way, our Declaration of Independence mentions the providence of God. It mentions his creation. And so even though deism was prevalent in colonial America, it didn't prevail in the, writing of the doctrine of, uh, in the writing of the Declaration of Independence. The first paragraph, the introduction of the Declaration of Independence, talks about creation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But at the end of the Declaration of Independence, it says, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. There's our word that we're learning about. In the Declaration of Independence, we mutually pledge our lives to each other. So they believe God not only created, but he was guiding the forming of America. We believe he's guiding our lives. God works. We know that God works in all things. So whatever happens in your life, in my life, It doesn't mean that God brought that or he wanted that, but he's working in all things together. I believe bad things and good things. I believe big things and small things. Do you believe God's at work in the little things of your life? Would you look, would you watch for God's activity? Let me share with you just a little experience, a small thing that happened in our home a few weeks ago, and you can decide whether it's just coincidence or the providence of God. So, I was walking through the kitchen late one night, about to go to bed. You know, everything gets quiet when the TV's off, everybody's in bed, and I heard this noise. And I searched for it, you know, you're filming from here, from there. Finally, I narrowed it down, and it was a timer, a kitchen timer that Cindy had sitting on the counter by the refrigerator. And I determined in listening to it and looking at it, that was it was going bad, that battery was dying in it, but it was sealed up. There's no way to replace it. You just have to get a new timer. So I set it back down on the counter and went to bed. The next day, I came home and Cindy had the refrigerator pulled out in the middle of the kitchen. And she said, the refrigerator's leaking. I heard it, it's going, and I said, No, that's not the refrigerator. That's the timer on the counter by the refrigerator. And I said, see, and I picked it up, held it up to here, and she said, you're right, it's a timer, but the refrigerator's leaking. And I looked, and sure enough, and although it wasn't making the noise, because of the noise of the timer that she thought there was a refrigerator, there's a puddle of water, and we got hardwood floor in our kitchen, it bucked some of the hardwood. It dried out okay, it didn't have to be replaced, but if it'd gone a lot longer, we'd have had to do a lot. But thank God that she thought the, that timer was the refrigerator. Now, is that just a coincidence? Because if we had to pull it out, it had been months probably before we'd have, Maybe you clean every week behind your refrigerator. I don't know. It'd have been months before we pulled the refrigerator out, and it would have ruined a lot more. Now, you can say, well, that's, that's a neat coincidence. But could it be that God is at work in all things? And I'm going to give God glory for good things that happen, because I think good things come from Him, and I believe He's at work in our world. It says in this verse, we know that in all things, God works for the good. Now, it doesn't say that He works for our comfort or for our ease. It says He works for our good. So bad things will happen to us, but God will work them to the good. And when we're in the midst of those bad things, we may not know what the good is out of them. It is often in retrospect that we can see it, or sometimes it will only be in heaven that we'll see it. I'll share with you another small incident from my life this week. Uh, We've got uh, my son and his family are building a house. They've sold their house, so they're living with us uh, for uh, a while this summer. I have a garage apartment. They're staying with us, so we got our grandkids there, and on Monday of this week, one of our grandkids have a grandchild, 11-year-old with Down syndrome. He'd left his bicycle about halfway down the driveway, and somebody comes by and steals the, the toy out of the lawn. It's one of these Razor, big, grill scooter things that he likes. It costs about $100. Neighbors saw it. A dark blue or dark green Dodge Ram pickup with a lady driving. Young guy gets out, runs up the driveway, grabs it, throws it in. There's other stuff in the back of the pickup uh, two eyewitnesses saw. If you see a dark green or blue Dodge pickup with stuff in the back, would you call Manchester Police Department and get, or get the tag number or something? But anyway, so they stole this uh, riding toy from one of my grandkids. And, you know, I'm, I'm preaching on this passage, and I'm thinking, so, you know, God... What is the good that you're going to work out of that? Because this verse says, we know that in all things, God works for the good. And I'm not sure yet that I know what it is, but I got to thinking, well, maybe some good would be that it would teach my grandkids about stealing. So that night, uh, I said to them, you know, the Ten Commandments are, and they said, yep. I said, you know, what the Ten Commandments is, you shall not steal. And so this person stole, and God didn't want that to happen. But what I want you to remember is how you feel right now, because they stole that from you. So don't you ever steal from somebody because that's how you're going to cause somebody to feel. And so I'm hoping that some good would be a teaching moment that uh, they would know how it feels when you get something taken from you so that they will not do that. And then we prayed and we prayed for that person uh, who had stolen it because we know that God loves sinners and we're sinners and God loves that person and we want God to bring that person to repentance, but we want that uh, that person to know God. Now, I don't know if that's all the good. Maybe there's some other good that God's going to work out. I don't know what it would be, but maybe. But I tried to look for something good that God might be doing because we know that in all things, God works for good. Now, the rest of that verse says it's not for everybody that he does that. It says, "...we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose." So these two phrases are two ways of describing Christians, right? He's not promising this uh, guidance, this providence for every person, but those who are in a covenant relationship to him, those who love him. That's from our perspective. We love God. That's the greatest commandment. From his perspective, he has called us according to his purpose. That's from his perspective, those who belong to him. And it's particularly in our lives that God has said and that we can know that I will work in your life, good things and bad things, little things and big things, for your good. Not always for your comfort, not always for your pleasure, but for your good. Now, what is that good? Let's look at verse twenty-nine. It identifies two key components of how God's what God's going to work for. Verse twenty-nine says, "For those God foreknew, there's His foreknowledge, so He can guide outcomes because He knows ahead of time." He also predestined. He's got a plan. We're going to talk more about that in weeks to come. To be conformed to the image of his son. So the end game, the goal, the good is he wants to make you like Jesus. So whatever happens in your life, he's going to work it together, create a pattern, make things cooperate to make you more like Jesus. And the other good that he's going to accomplish, the latter part of verse 29, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And so his other good purpose is he's going to bring other people to Christ. So those are the two things you know God is going to be doing in your life if you love him and are called according to his purpose, and that you can have some confidence. You see, I believe the the doctrine of the providence of God ought to give you some confidence. You may be going through something like right now, a lot bigger than my leaking a refrigerator or stolen toys. And you may be thinking, what in the world is God doing? If God loved me, why would this be happening? I can't see a purpose in this. And so you're going to have to trust the doctrine of the providence of God. Because you often won't see it in the midst. You want to look for His providence, but you often won't fully understand it. And you have to say, we know that in all things, God works together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And that good is primarily he's going to transform me into his image and he's going to bring other people to him and he's going to be working in that way in my lives and so i can have some joy and confidence that these things are not random that the that evil will not have the final say but that god works them together in a synergy for my life now each week i'm going to share with you a bible story that illustrates the doctrine of the providence of god and i begin today with what i think is the clearest story in the Bible that describes this doctrine of the providence of God. The clearest story, I think, that unfolds Romans 8, 28 is the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph was the fourth generation of the people of God. God called Abraham. He had a son, Isaac. He had a son, Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons of whom Joseph was the youngest, the baby of the bunch. And Jacob loved him the best. He showed favoritism. And he made him a brightly colored coat. And uh, that caused jealousy with the other brothers. Parents, don't play favorites with your kids. This brought problems. And Joseph had dreams that his brothers bowed down to him. And if you're the baby brother and you dream that your brothers bow down to you, don't tell them about it. That doesn't go well either. That just increased the jealousy. And then Joseph had a dream that the sun and the moon bowed down to him and now they're really ticked off about this little brother. And so when he was 17, he was sent by his father on an errand to take some supplies to his brothers out in the field and they determined to kill him. They were so angry they were going to kill him. And they threw him into a pit and then, by coincidence or by the providence of God, a caravan going to Egypt comes by. And they said, we're not getting anything for him here. Instead of killing him, let's sell him into slavery. One of the brothers sort of wanted to protect him. And so they sold him to a caravan headed to Egypt, caravan of Ishmaelites going to Egypt. And he became a slave. And don't you think at that point, Joseph, sold by his brothers, separated from his family, don't you think he wondered, is there a God? Is God at work? Why would I be in this situation? Joseph was sold to a man in Egypt named Potiphar and uh, Joseph was smart and he worked hard and he rose through the ranks until he was over all of Potiphar's household so life was on the upswing for Joseph he was doing well he he, he things had turned around for him and then Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of sexual assault and Joseph wound up in prison And the roller coaster had hit rock bottom again. And Joseph, again, must have wondered, where is God? What is he doing? Why would he let this happen to me? And then there were, by coincidence, or by the providence of God, there were two servants of Pharaoh who were put in the same jail with Joseph. And they had dreams. And Joseph, by the power of God, was given the ability to interpret their dreams And one of the servants, he predicted, would be restored to to Pharaoh's service. And he said to this cupbearer, and when you get back into Pharaoh's service, remember me. Put in a good word for me. And sure enough, just as Joseph had predicted, the cupbearer was restored to Pharaoh's service. And he promptly forgot about Joseph. And for two more years, Joseph languished, the Bible says, in a dungeon now, you think about if you're in a dungeon and uh, you think, where is God in my life? What in the world is he doing? And then Pharaoh had a dream that no one could interpret. He dreamed of six fat, uh, seven fat cows and seven scrawny cows that swallowed the seven fat cows. And Pharaoh wouldn't know what it meant. Nobody could tell him. And finally, the cupbearer remembered, oh, yeah, when I was doing time in prison, there was this guy that could interpret dreams, and Pharaoh called for him, and Joseph was brought before him, and Joseph prayed, and God gave him the interpretation of the dream, and he told Pharaoh that it means that there will be seven years of plenty of great crops, followed by seven years of famine. The seven scrawny cows will eat up the seven fat cows. And so Pharaoh said, "What should we do?" And Joseph said, "Well, need to plan now in these seven years to store grain to get us through those seven years of famine. Pharaoh said, you're the man to do that. And Joseph was put in second in command over all of Egypt over this program. The famine was worldwide, and soon in Israel they ran out of grain. And the 11 brothers of Joseph were sent by their father Jacob to Egypt to buy grain. And they get there to Joseph And they don't recognize him. It has been 22 years since they sold him to slavery. He is 39 now. But Joseph recognizes them. And he reveals himself to him. And I want to read to you a a portion of the story in Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Ooh, that doesn't sound good, does it? And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land and for the next five years there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So Joseph saw the providence of God in the evil actions of his brothers, did not make what they did right, but it means that God worked it out in the consequences so that he would have the final word, and he used their evil action to save the people to whom would bring us the Messiah, the lineage of Jesus Christ, the people of Israel. He preserved them in famine by sending a brother ahead of them who would rise to power and provide for that nation. And he says in the next verse, Verse 9, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt, come down to me, don't delay. And so eventually Jacob and all of his clan and all of them came to Egypt, lived through the famine there under the protection of Joseph and the plan of God was continued and God was at work. In all of that roller coaster ride of his life, would you believe in the roller coaster ride of your life, in the ups and in the downs, that God is at work in all things for your good? That's the doctrine of his providence. and That'll enable you to get through some things. It'll give you joy and confidence if you'll put your trust in that, even in the times of the dungeon. Well, 17 years went by. They lived there in Egypt, and then Jacob died Joseph 56 now. And the brothers of Joseph are afraid again that maybe he was just being nice to them because dad was still alive. But now that dad's gone... Will he take revenge upon us? And so they came before him again in fear and trembling. I want to read you one more passage. It is Genesis 15,19 and 20. Genesis 50:20 is the Old Testament counterpart to Romans 8:28. What Romans 8:28 says in the New Testament, Genesis 50 says in the old, "It is the doctrine of the providence of God summed up in this verse again. Here it is, verse 19. Joseph said to them, "Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God?" Verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. Do you hear it there? Their intent was evil, but God overrode their intent. They wrote the storyline, but God wrote the headline. They said, Sell our brother into slavery. God said, you sold your brother into slavery so that he could go to Egypt, rise to power, and save your lives and continue the lineage that would bring the Messiah. That's what God does in your life. He writes the headlines. And when you understand the doctrine of the providence of God, it enables you to forgive people who do wrong. doesn't mean their wrong was any less wrong. But Joseph was able to forgive because he saw the overarching purpose of God's providence even through their sin. Maybe you've been wronged, and maybe you've been holding on to that grudge, but when you come to believe God's providence, it enables you to be a more forgiving person. Will you trust this in your life? I pray in these next six weeks you'll look for evidence of God's working, His providence in your life. I pray that you'll trust Him and gain a level of confidence and peace through the ups and downs of your life. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Would you put your trust in Him this morning? Our invitation's a little bit different. Today, uh, after our closing, I'll be in the library. You go straight through those double doors. You'll see the sign. Tim will be in the parlor. If that's more convenient to you and you're going out this way, you stop by there, either of us would be glad to pray with you to receive Christ as your Savior, talk to you about baptism. Somebody always ready before the service I don't want to talk to you about baptism afterwards. We'd be glad to talk to you about baptism. You could join our church. We'll let you fill out a membership form. We'll rejoice with you and, and just share your, your picture maybe next week. Uh, maybe you just need somebody to pray with, so after our service, I'll be in the library. Tim will be in the parlor. Let's pray together. Oh, Father... Help us to learn about in these weeks and to trust your providence. Right now, if there's somebody trying to make sense of their life, I pray that you would help them to place their faith in you, the Father of Jesus Christ, and know that you're at work for their good. Father, I pray you'd draw to you those who have a plan for their lives. I pray you'd call them according to your purpose right now. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the chance to worship with you. We put our trust in you. In the name of Jesus, Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Dr. Cox, for reminding us of this wonderful message today. Uh, as we go, let's uh, let's sing ourselves out by uh, singing about the old church choir. There ain't nothing I'm gonna steal my joy. Will you stand with us and let's sing together? There's revival. And it's spreading like a wildfire in my heart. Sunday morning, hallelujah,
1: and it's lasting no week long. Come on! Can you hear it? Can you feel it? It's the rhythm of a gospel song. Oh!
3: announcements you can stay standing cuz I'm going to do these quickly. Number 1, we have a resource wall that's normally on the walking track. You can't go there, so we brought them to you. So our resources like the daily bread and things like that that you distribute are at each entrance as you come in, they're on a table, so be sure to pick that up on your way out. If you pick those up, they're there for you. Um Worship registration for the 31st is now online. You can get that on our website. You can also get it on our Facebook page. You can begin registering again. Hopefully, this will not be the case soon, but for right now, we are still having online registration for our worship gatherings. I want to remind you that our giving receptacles, the drop boxes, are there on the back wall if you want to use those on your way out. And we are going to be dismissing one row at a time. If you'd like to talk to a pastor, Dr. Cox is at the library. Tim is at the parlor. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. God, we know that in all things you are working for the good, for those who love you and those who have been called according to your purposes. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: One, I got an old church choir singing in my soul. I got a sweet salvation and beautiful. I've got it all.